you know, if a person clicks a link in an email or sends an email to the wrong person or department, are they going to put their hand up and say, I made a mistake, please help me? Or are they going to ignore it because they're too scared to come forward? What they decide to do at that point is your human risk portfolio. Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Behave podcast. My name is Ben Donaldson. I am the Community Engagement Manager here at CyberSafe. I have a fantastic guest today, Leanne Walker, who is currently the Head of Cyberculture and Behavioural Change at Royal Mail. With 15 years working in the security sector among many different functions, Leanne is on a mission to create a psychologically safe security culture where employees are supported rather than told what to do. In her spare time, you can find Leanne destroying 80s power ballads at karaoke, going on adventures with her two dogs, Poppy and Mr Squidge, or curled up with a good red wine and a book. I know for a fact that Leanne is going to offer some really epic insight into her approach and experience when it comes to managing human cyber risk. Leanne, welcome to the Behave podcast. No pressure. Epic insights. That's a tall order. I I have no doubt you're going to crush this. It's going to be great. Okay, I'm I'm intrigued though. I'm intrigued though. What is your favourite 80s ballad? Without a shadow of a doubt, it is Hard to Say I'm Sorry by Chicago. Now, if they don't have that on the karaoke list, anything by Whitney Houston or Celine Dion, I can easily destroy as well. Okay, okay. I know those two. Not so familiar with Chicago. And I'm probably there's, there's listeners probably going now, all right, Donaldson, you need to seriously kind of brush up on your, uh, your knowledge of, of yeah. 80s power Get ballads. Get on your playlist. 100%. I love that. Favourite intro so far, I reckon. <laughs> with the icebreaker question that I love asking, you're probably very familiar with it now. Most of our listen to listeners are also, I'm sure, very familiar with it. But come on then, the pizza question. You've got four toppings. What are they? Right. So very much controversial when it comes to pizza. I am a girl who orders a Hawaiian. Uh, so the ham and pineapple, I absolutely love. Um, and then I'll add to that generally red onion and then garlic butter, extra garlic butter. You know, pineapple and garlic butter, not for everyone, but um, very much my uh, my go-to. Though we did recently have a new pizza place open near us. I ordered a chicken kia pizza with nacho toppings. Lovely, but a bit much. Um, you know, I can well imagine. A quarter of me, three slices, and that, that was me, I was done. So we're... Uh, you know, and sometimes you know, you know, you like to sort of veer off, don't you, and, and try something else. But uh, I think I'll be tonight going back to my Hawaiian. Yeah, piece of Fridays, piece of Fridays. I, I like it. Beers. But you're, um, yeah, you're not afraid to kind of venture outside your comfort zone with pizzas. I love that a kia pizza. Maybe I can make a my own version. Just oh, get yeah. a chicken kiev and chop it up, and then yeah, throw the pizza. Yeah, put some extra cheese on top. Right, there's your challenge. Okay, okay. Make Sorted. that and come back to me. See what you think. Okay, maybe episode two we can discuss. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks for uh, answering the, the kind of little teaser question at the, at the beginning of the, the podcast. So now diving into the, the main part of the podcast, there's uh, quite a few questions that I have here that we're going to dart all over the place with. I know you're going to provide some really interesting insight into. So let's get stuck in. Leanne, obviously, with your experience and all of the different programs you've run, I know that in the past you've had a heavy focus on the kind of personal security culture side of things and you really encourage having personal security, a, a personal security charter alongside um, the program that you're running. 
How has it worked for you in the past? How did you set it up? Where did the idea come from? Was it something that was just like, actually, you know what, that's a really good idea. I hear a lot of people talking about the whole, yeah, actually, if we can link it to people's personal lives, it makes it much more relevant. But has it positively influenced kind of behavior change and culture change? Absolutely, yeah, 100%. I have and always will recommend having a personal security charter uh, to ensure that your education and awareness activities, your program, always considers that personal guidance angle. So whether you promote it as a standalone topic or you integrate it with your regular awareness initiatives, it's just a great way to get employees on board with your cyber program. You know, we always talk about what's in it for me as the lead for what we do with our education awareness activities. But there's loads of benefits to focusing on a, a personal security, security chart and, and for one, it humanises your cybersecurity team and shows that we care about you and your safety online. We're not just here about the business. Um, it helps to bring people on the journey with you. So when they feel like you're bringing value to them personally, they're much more likely to engage um, and comply with any business requirements that you're outlining to them. And if we can teach them to be safe at home, they'll bring those good habits into work. Very unlikely that someone will be really, really cyber savvy at home and then not be cyber, cyber savvy at work. And when they're mindful of what they're doing, they're much more likely to pay attention when you send out social posts, send out a newsletter, send out a little, you know, bite-sized training or an instruction on something that you need to do. One of our consistent messages throughout the business is that cybersecurity is a shared responsibility extending beyond the workplace and the skills and knowledge and things that we teach you at work will also protect you at home, protect your loved ones, um, whether it's, you know, cybercrime as a whole, whether it's just focusing on phishing. It's always good to have that consistent personal angle with anything that you're doing. I was recently speaking with uh, somebody on, a, on another podcast about the whole, whole trust angle. And if you can build that trust, actually, you know what? We're a team that are really here to support you and help you. It's not just about work because I've said many, many times before, security doesn't stop the moment you walk out the door. Yeah. Lots of people, I feel, understand that. But in terms of actually implementing it in the workplace and in then if they have just joined an organization and they're wanting to start up a new program or they are years into, into a program and actually they think, you know, actually, I think that's a really good idea of having a personal security charter alongside. How might somebody start addressing and encouraging a more personal or family focused culture if they've never done it before? Just have a plan. You know, it's, it's just always good to have a plan to come back to, isn't it? Just like you would plan your word-related content, plan your personal-related content. So I have a charter that aligns with our branding and approach uh, that we take for all cyber-related activities within the business. What our charter states, so what we what grounds us with it and brings us back to it is that personal cybersecurity guidance is regularly provided as a standalone topic via various communication channels. And our employees understand the value of good cybersecurity habits at home, habits which extend to safe working practices at work. So just by having those two statements there, we can sit here, are we meeting what we've said in the charter? Is the stuff that we're sending out there, does that align with what we've put, um, that, that we've said we'll do? And, and it's just always good to circle back to that and I've got a 12-month schedule of topics that I promote through our various channels. And 
doesn't have to be huge either. You know, there's, um, we already give them a lot with training and awareness. And I know this is a, an added value to, to your employee um, and it's supporting them personally. But it's, again, we don't want to overwhelm them with it. Um, so one initiative that I ran, and it was a month-long initiative on cyberbullying. So I promoted it like a storyboard. Uh, so again, not to overwhelm people. Week one, what is cyberbullying? Week two, how to spot the signs. Week three, how to talk to your children about cyberbullying. And then week four, we just shared a case study on the awful case study on uh, Megan Meyer, um, the girl who committed suicide just before her 14th birthday due to cyberbullying. So yes, it's an awful subject and it would have been triggering for a lot of people. But unfortunately, it's a fact of life and the statistics are alarming when it comes to cyberbullying. And it's really difficult as well to quantify just how bad the problem is because there's so many different surveys, you know, globally, country-based. Um, one survey I was looking at recently, it was an anti-bullying charity called Ditch the Label, and they recorded 27% of students in the UK alone have reported having experienced some form of cyberbullying. When we talk about that personal angle, then when we go back there, a lot of employees have got children. They probably know that cyberbullying exists, but do they know where to go for more information and guidance? Um, you know, if they're not in the cyber field and they're not in the industry that we work in where we've got access to all this stuff and we know where it all is, do they have the same? So the campaign that I ran, it didn't invent anything new. I didn't create anything myself. It was just signposting people to the relevant guidance online and where to go for help and the, the tip sheets and the videos and things. So from my perspective, quite a minimal effort. From an impact perspective, it was massive. That's really impactful. Yeah, absolutely. And this job can be quite a thankless task at times. Yes. It can be, well, why does this look like this? Why isn't it look like this? Stuff doesn't work. Things don't land. Uh, something like that. There will be, I'm sure, countless other people mm -hmm. who have taken that advice on, been able to actually utilise it in the workplace. I saw something this morning about Durham Police, perhaps, doing a briefing on cyberbullying and kind of all the materials available. So it's certainly something that, again, you can take a different angle and address it differently. So, yeah. no, it, it's really interesting. One of the other things that we're doing as well um, for Christmas is um, another initiative, and it's about securing your internet of things. So, you know, Christmas time, everyone's getting some sort of tech or new tech or upgrade at Christmas time, aren't they? So how do we secure that? How, how do you look after that and protect it? Um, and it's basically just a cut out and keep list that you just take home with you over Christmas and just follow it um, to become your chief family security officer or whatever. And what are you buying? What have you got in the house? And how can you uh, make it safe? Yeah, and it's helping people at the points of year, the kind of the, the ones that are important in their life, like Christmas, any other big events, give them the engagement, which actually once they've you, you've almost captured their attention with something like that, it makes approaching them slightly easier. Yeah, definitely. It's just, it's just the best way to to get people on board with what you're trying to achieve. The the kind of flip side to that is, okay, well, how have we perhaps done it in the past? I'm not going to name names and point fingers. I was probably guilty of perhaps doing this myself in, in previous roles, but ensuring that awareness, education, behaviour change, activities don't feel like punishment is so important 
is the material that's out there the kind of the, the off the shelf stuff is it any good does it maintain the old way of trick train and train entertain or do you think it's it's moving into something a bit more progressive now so it's a mixed bag for me i find um i think in some areas they're great for awareness they can offer a really entertaining way of getting the message across but i don't think i've seen much off the shelf material that changes those behaviours and certainly at the, the point in time that it's needed. I think it's come a long way, but there's still an element to a lot of it that's quite condescending, may raise further uncertainty because it's off the shelf, it's not bespoke to what the, the messages that you're trying to get across. And God, can they be cheesy sometimes, uh, you know, really cheesy. And the whole point of human risk management is providing the right information to the right people at the right time. So for this purpose, we already know that annual one-hour e-learning is gone, you know, the death by PowerPoints and all that sort of stuff. We know that that doesn't work. And now we're looking at bite-sized mini-modules throughout the year, which is great. But again, is it truly managing the human risk? And there's loads of case studies published which look at a, a typical worker who's, you know, not necessarily in the cybersecurity teams or in those kinds of functions. And the, the case studies show that they undergo security awareness training, whether it's annual, whether it's bite size, whatever it is. And then you sort of apply the, the science behind it. So you look at the forgetting curve, which at five to seven days after your training, you're only going to remember 20% of what you've been taught. So we've got that. Then we look at cognitive overload, fast and slow thinking deadlines and then all the other noise that occurs when you're at work whether you've watched a 45 minute video six months ago or a five minute video one month ago you, there's potential for yourself to make a mistake you know it, it's not really going to change anything and you can see that the way we're going now with security nudges and things like that you know can't reach them before you can teach them catch them at the time when they need it but if you don't have the capacity to do something like that for, for security nudges, just make sure there is a really super accessible suite of guidance that's well publicised within your organisation so people can double check that they're doing the right thing at the time of doing the activity. Don't make them sit there thinking, oh, God, I watched a video six months ago and I'm sure it said something like this, but I can't actually remember what it said. And so, right, I'm just going to do what I think right, which is nine times out of ten, what's going to be easier for them? You know, not necessarily the right thing. So it's it's just about how how do we ca catch it at the time and we have technology or we, we can have guidance and procedures. But either way, annual e-learning, bite-sized learning is not really the answer to human risk management. No, no, I totally opinion. agree. I totally agree. I love your opinion. I think it is so along the lines of where this whole industry needs to go. And, and yes. we're getting there. We are getting we are, there. And, yeah, yeah. and this, this, this point of risk or, or security that works in the background for them, they don't necessarily need to know all of the things that are happening to protect them. But yeah. like you say, if there is a nudge, if it's, if it's accessible, if somebody had to, for example, go and find in a policy that's within a policy that's within a policy that's within about nine different SharePoint pages. Like you say, they're just going to do what they think is right, which yeah. might not actually be the best course of action for them. And it's 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 knowing your audience. Yes. Do you kind of, obviously the, the knowing and understanding your audience is, is a kind of 
pretty big part to a successful awareness program. Have you found that or have you found it to be some, some, something slightly different? Oh, no, no, no. Know your audience is critical. Um, and I've learned this the hard way, uh, for sure. So many years ago, before I sort of started really drilling down into human risk management and I was doing the, you know, off the shelf uh, security awareness, um, I used a, a popular platform um, to do some sort of unmass awareness. COVID had hit, we'd gone Everyone was working from home. We'd never done that before. We were a global company working all over the world for in offices. So we were like, right, I'm going to do some uh, working from home videos on, on the platform and get these out to people. Um, and I got some feedback. Uh, and uh, the, the feedback, I will I will give it to you verbatim, was, I am a global banking and market senior executive and you're asking me to stop doing business critical activities during a pandemic to watch a ridiculous cartoon and play games. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you've got a good point there, actually, love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's, um, you know, we are in a pandemic. We are finding new ways of working. And I think getting the message out there about working from home and that changes our behaviours, that changes our risk, was critical. But that could have been done with a memo, with a bulletin, with um, an email with some pointers on there. Uh, and I didn't. I decided to send out a lot of cartoons on the platform. And, and the lesson I learned from that is that we don't always need to go hard or go home. Sometimes just a quick memo is fine. And, and the audience I had here would probably appreciate that a lot more than a, a cartoon. Yeah, I really like your honesty there. It's very easy to... Uh, kind of look at the highlight rate of the things that we've done well in our programs, but actually learning from these things has made you more aware of, okay, actually, you know, what, if, if I was to do this again, I'd do it slightly differently. Um, I'm sure that person now knows who you are um, and, and the cybersecurity team, but I guess that's that's kind of beside the point. Is It goes along the lines of no marketing is bad marketing, right? <laughs> oh, it's bad, it's bad day. <laughs> Yeah, but no, like I say, I, I really respect your honesty. I think there's there's something there about, I guess, testing. Do you, I know some people do test with it with like little focus groups. Do you test? Do you kind of have people you send out to to get a kind of general feedback from? Yeah, yeah, definitely. If you're doing something that's sort of company-wide and it's awareness and it's not targeted on a particular group of people, definitely put your material through some sort of testing. Uh, you know, get a focus group to run through it. Uh, they'll sort of pick up then any alignments if we're not quite meeting our objectives, but maybe not focusing our personal chat. Uh, you know, what are we trying to achieve? What is the call to action? What is the behavioural change that, that we need? And I think sometimes we can get so bogged down in producing the content that we might have a bit of school. You know, we might run away, we might go off on a tangent with something, which and it's not true to what we're trying to say. So absolutely get get a focus group or get some people to help uh, you, you know, refine that and, and check that you, you're getting the messaging properly. And, and, and you know, so to back, back to myself, uh, back to my previous point that I made, when we see organisations got into full-scale training and awareness mode, when all that's really needed is a quiet word in an individual's or a group's ear to remind them of the right thing to do. And I think, you know, sometimes we, we force the masses to undertake more training when it's really a localised issue. Um, so if, if 
pick something up that two or three people have done that, that's not right. The answer isn't then, well, we need to train the entire company. We need to do an awareness piece or a newsletter or a training video on why that's wrong. Just let those people know, you know, hey, we've we've picked up on our sock that you, you've you done this. Just to remind you that's not the right thing to do. You know, don't do that, do this instead, whatever it is. I just think sometimes, yeah, we, we do go too hard and... and get everybody involved in, in more localised issues. You know, there's a time and a place for stuff, isn't there, really? And in, you're sort of going back to the point about knowing your audience. You could also ask your audience. So a lot of uh, training and awareness platforms now, they do offer a variety of formats of like box set style training. So like your Netflix series, things like that. A lot of companies are doing that now. So at a smaller company I work for previously, we actually put it to our audience. So we gave them a vote for what series they wanted to partake in. Um, it was quite simple. So I went to the town hall, so the big, you know, the big monthly town hall, played the trailer for each of them, and then put a poll out for who wanted to watch which one, so I could vote. Then shared that on our social media pages um, so that those that weren't at the town hall also got to, to partake. And then I just got that data from the voting, created the smart groups in the platform, and then just hit go. So again, it's a great way to not only train people um, if you are using off-the-shelf material, but it also makes them feel heard and it gives them a choice on how they want to learn. And then another one, so going back to the off-the-shelf question, even though you can measure this kind of training, uh, so you can measure the box set style trainings on your platforms, not everyone learns that way either. So it's important to have an alternative method of training available. Now, what we're kind of talking, we've touched on, on policies earlier, and one of the um, alternative methods of training available that I had at the previous company, we used cheat sheets, policy cheat sheets, the, the cheat sheet is basically a short and concise, usually one-page document that picks out all of the human behavioural aspects of each policy. So what you need to do, not do, and when. And then you can use the sort of the framework of that sheet to explain the risks associated with that control. So this is what you've got to do and this is why. This is what you, you can't do and this is why. Now, that's only really effective if your policies read like an epic, which, uh, by the way, can I say, your policy should only be one page. If it's any longer than that, it should probably be a standard. So there's a little takeaway for you. But if your policies are a little bit complex and you can't get around that, try the cheat sheet method. Um, it's another benefit for your people. It shows that you're invested in their time and want to make things as easy as possible and not frustrate them. And that's really focusing on what truly matters. Remember, or sort of keeping the, the forefront of your mind, that we don't provide training and awareness to tick a box. We provide training and awareness to help our people. And don't let compliance get in the way of producing good quality learning tools. Yes. Say it again and louder <laughs> and louder. God, if only the policy perspective there I just want to go back and touch on slightly I'm pretty sure it was you said to me once before kind of in these roles we will always consider the people element and where they can support a requirement or be made aware of control or, or kind of something similar 
But sometimes we don't necessarily understand that there could be a technology or a policy that's better suited and, and gets out of people's way. Yeah. Have you done anything similar? Has there been an example that you can think of where you've done that? So as part of my program, uh, the Cultural Behavioural Change Program, um, there's a, a process that we go through when we have new ways of working, new tools, technology, whatever, that will identify, is there a behavioural change or is there a human element of what we're trying to do? There's a form that we have to fill in and it asks, is there a technology or a policy that can meet this requirement? And do we actually need to bring our people in as another control mechanism? So we ask a lot of people, we train them regularly. So when we look at people, process and technology, is there a way that you can achieve your objectives without the employee having to be trained? Remember to do the activity, remember to report it if they're doing something wrong. You know, it's not just about, you know, training them. It's also what happens if they do it wrong. You know, that then opens up a whole new work stream. And always check that your policies and procedures align. You know, so if a policy states that employees cannot set up auto-forward rules on their emails, we don't need to tell them that. We just disable the auto-forwarding function. You know, I mean, that, that's a real weak example, to be honest. It, that it's just one of many, you know, so what can we do to, to take the human behaviour out of the equation? And if you do that, if you find a way that, that stops the employee um, having to do something, tell them, share with them that that's what you do. Let them know that you're thinking about them. You will always try and make a safe and secure environment without having to bring them in to do something. And it helps them to understand where they sit, brings them on the journey. So we've done this so that you don't have to know anything, remember anything, do anything. Again, that's a value to them. Yeah, that's a really interesting insight. I guess not something that I've necessarily thought of before. I didn't think anybody on the podcast has spoken about yet. And I really, and this is one of the reasons I wanted you on the podcast is your very unique outlook in, okay, actually, you know what? I do understand quite a lot about the other elements of how this whole security picture um, fits together. Who are the people in the organization I can go and speak to to make these things happen that actually with me, with my, the people in mind and kind of like the people hat on making sure that kind of, I guess, for the, for the greater good, to use a hot, hot fuzz quote, it, you have them in mind all the time and being able to implement time, those. Yeah. This unique way that you you go about it, I feel you have some really good snippets of, of something that you have done in the past that's been a success. If you were to pick one campaign or something that you ran internally that you came away from and went, you know what, that's had a, a mega impact, what would you say that was? Oh, it's it's got to be the cyberbullying one. Yeah. You know, it's um, when when you look at what's had the greatest impact from engagement and getting people on board and listening. It's always the personal angle. It's it's very very rare that it's something to do with work. You've got to hook them in with the personal angle. So I would say absolutely yes. The best campaign I've ever run is the cyberbullying one for engagement. Uh, it, you know, as well as uh, I said that you know, I spoke to the lady that that had, had found a lot of good stuff out with the items I'd shared. There was also a hell of a lot of chat on our social channels about it as well. Um, so you could you could see the engagement. So I would say that was definitely the best one. And then the worst ones have always been, I'm afraid to say, when I've used off-the-shelf stuff. 
it, it, it really has, apart from the box set style ones, it's, it's using off, off the, the shell stuff that where I've struggled the most. Again, it's knowing your audience, but um, that customizability is a real focus, I feel like, in the market now where people won't pay attention unless it's directly applicable to them. Yeah. So if it's just general security training or general nudge or a general control to help them, they'd be like, okay, cool. Whereas actually, if it's a lot more applicable, which again, a lot of the off-the-shelf stuff doesn't approach. Yeah, yeah. Like, isn't that life anyway? I mean, you know, take work away from that. At home, I've got a million and one things to do on, you know, at home. On, you know, we, I get two days off a week and, you know, there is everything to do. There's a good 10 hours a day. I, I, I take the exact same approach at home. You know, if, if there's nothing in it for me, if there's no value to me, I, I ain't got time for it or it's too long or I don't understand it, it's too complex, I just switch off. Yeah, or similarly, I'm going to use socks as an example here. If I can see that I have no socks or I've got one <laughs> pair of socks left, I know that I need to go and start washing some socks or doing some loads of washing because otherwise I'm going to be... So it's, it's again, it's what's snapping closest to the boat as well. And there's a balance to be had there yeah. too. Uh, kind of switching slightly here to the psychological uh, safety part. There's been this, I guess, theme or part of the culture that people sometimes feel, oh, I don't know if I want to report this because it looks like I'm responsible or I'm going to kind of have something be dragged into something or it, it's going to reflect badly on me in your experience how might asking employees how they actually feel about cyber and if they feel safe reporting an incident for example how does that again contribute to the wider culture so quite simply if you don't have psychological safety you're screwed you're screwed without it it's the foundation of any there you go. that's it that's risk just... management program yeah and that's the slogan <laughs> that's the slogan you know, you can do all the training and, and awareness that you want, but if an employee is terrified of admitting when they've made a mistake, which, you know, we've talked about already, people do make mistakes. If they're terrified of admitting it, then you're never going to reduce your human risk. I want my employees to feel safe, putting their hand up and saying, I've made a mistake, I've clicked a link, I've left some important documents on a trainer. I, I, I know I should have, but I wrote all my passwords down in a notebook and now I've lost that notebook, you know. These are all genuine things that can happen. What's important is that we know about it, so we in the cyber team know about it so that we can put steps in place to to fix it or reduce the impact or you know it's which we just need to know and if you don't have that culture, then that's what you need to work on rather than going into a training and awareness program. We are about to start uh, the next few weeks a program called Cyber Feels on our team social channels. Monthly touch point polls uh, that people can take part in take part in anonymously. That was a tongue twister. And the the kinds of questions that we're going to be asking on these polls is I feel safe reporting a security incident, even though I'm the one that caused it. Or I feel comfortable asking for help from the cybersecurity team. So just real, really short, snappy touch points that people can answer. And that kind of data is going to be invaluable to our plans because it's that's what's getting to the root cause of your human risk. So it doesn't really matter how much you promote why it's important to report security incidents. If they're too scared to do it, and if the results show that your employees don't feel comfortable asking for help from the cyber team, you've got a much bigger problem on your hands than 
phishing click rates and training completion rates. And, you know, if a person clicks a link in an email or sends an email to the wrong person or department, are they going to put their hand up and say, I made a mistake, please help me? Or are they going to ignore it because they're too scared to come forward? And that choice is going to make all the difference in your human risk. What they decide to do at that point is your human risk portfolio. There's a big one, and I want to get a massive neon sign that says, if you haven't got psychological safety in your organisation around cybersecurity, you are screwed. Can we get a poster um, or a badge? Or a sticker? Absolutely, let's do it. I'm, I'm keen. I'm keen. The last point that I want us to finish on, we sometimes in these roles get so far with something that's not necessarily working, but we've invested in it or we've spent months trying to get approval for it and suddenly somebody says yes and we, it's like a kid that, I don't know, well, certainly I was like a kid that your mum suddenly says you can go around and stay at your best friend's house. You go, oh my God, yes. But if it doesn't positively influence behaviour change and reduce risk, we just let it run anyway because it's the easiest course of action. Why is it important sometimes to actually admit if we got it wrong and pivot? Looking at this as a, uh, as, as a bigger issue, I think it's just so important to acknowledge that you don't win at security awareness and human risk management. There is no end game. Tech will get stronger, new human risk will be introduced, behaviour is unpredictable, there's no rota for um, people who have a bad day and get something wrong. You've just got to keep on top of it, keep trying new things, keep measuring new things, move with the times and... As long as people are a little bit better behaved than yesterday, then your program's working. I highly recommend uh, Simon Sinek's book, The Infinite, Infinite Game. Uh, so this really helped uh, me approach my program and be realistic and practical in what you can achieve um, in terms of human risk management. Ultimately, you don't win. There is no end game. And I think that's what we need to, you know, remember, you know, we burn ourselves out sometimes trying to do the right things. And it's it's just not always possible. You've just got to keep powering through. And we've kind of touched on this before, but I think we're backed into a corner with regulations as well. And if you look at the regulations, if you can measure what you're doing, then it will likely meet requirements. If, if you've got bite-sized learning, a suite of awareness initiatives or targeted risk-based training, then you've got a suite of metrics to show that you're training. And regulation hasn't really caught up with the concept of human risk management yet. It's coming. We know it's coming. We are getting there. But let's not wait for them to catch up before you run your programme how we all know that it should be run. And, you know, let's just be the trail break, the trail blazers. There's lots of tongue twisters today. And show that you can change behaviour without subjecting people to horrific e-learning once a year. And, and boom, that's my part. Mic drop. Mic drop. What a, what a <laughs> to end on. What a, what a point to end on. Leanne, there have been some incredible points made today and I am massively grateful for you joining us today. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. And maybe in two or three years' time, we'll do an episode again and see where we're at then and what the kind of picture looks like at that point. Great. That's it for today's episode. If you would like to find out more about CyberSafe or SebDB and a number of other resources, head to www.cybersafe.com. We will see you next time.